another episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nathan. What's up, Nathan? Yo, your boy is fully vaccinated. Uh, as of last Saturday, I'm ready to roam my jungle yet again after a 13 and a half month layoff. It's funny, I was looking on Twitter and I saw a really funny tweet and it was, you know, it was, you know, the Wilt picture where he's holding up the hundred uh, when he had the record game. Yeah. It was just that, but the superimposed vaccine card. And it was like everyone on social media after getting the vaccine. And I was like, I don't post a lot on Instagram, but that's one I sure as hell put up there. <laughs> well, congrats, man. That's great news. I still got another two weeks. Um, but how, how are you doing on, on Sunday? Were you... It was fine. Like, I mean, I think I told I told Noops this. Like, I have a top one percent immunity uh, of anyone that you know, <laughs> and so I knew that the side effects were not going to be major for me. I mean, you're talking Saturday. I probably got it at what 11 a.m. That day was okay. I crashed a little early that night, around nine nine thirty, which on a Saturday is you know generally pretty early. But I'd already planned to do nothing and and sort of just kind of lay low. Sunday, a little groggy, little. Uh, you know, a little bit of body aches, nothing crazy. Um, by Sunday afternoon, evening, I was fine. So I think I got lucky, all jokes aside. It sounds like people have gone through the ringer on that second dose, but I don't know what day you're planning on getting it, but that's why I did it on the weekend, just in case anything crazy happened. Yeah, I'm getting it on a weekday, so who knows. But but this is the thing. I always wondered, I think we talked about this on one of the previous pods, the NBA players uh sometimes we've heard like oh the all the t-wolves got vaccinated on this day or some other teams have publicly posted yeah and i i wanted to track how they did in the next game after that i haven't been paying attention but i was wondering if there was a that could be a, kind of a market edge. inefficiency to exploit yeah. there in terms of betting someone hit up FanDuel and get some boosts going <laughs> but now it's too late i feel like everyone's i don't know probably already getting vaccinated so. you know that also brings up a good point which is why would they get everybody done on the same day because it's almost like, you know, when you have a, a, you know, an executive team, you don't fly everyone on the same plane type yep. thing. It's very similar. Why would you get everyone vaccinated in case they all have bad reactions to the second dose? And then you're slugging it through some game versus Memphis yeah. and they're kicking your ass. Like they should do uh, a couple starters and a couple bench guys per sort of round and then do it over the course of a week or something. This reminded me of uh, the bubble when I was like, "Why are they putting all the top teams and top stars in the yeah, same hotel?" Exactly. Like, put the put the Lakers with the Kings, and you know, if it don't floods, risk- you don't want LeBron and Kawhi to be like floating along the hallways. <laughs> you know, you want one of them to be somewhere somewhere above ground there. Exactly, exactly. But that that's good news, man. It's uh, everything's heading. It's, it's trending heading in the right end. way. It's trending in the right direction, at least. Yeah. I think we hit uh, two hundred million doses. Um, either yesterday or the day before officially, which is pretty amazing. I mean, now the next question is what's the variant response? But yep. I, I mean, listen, in this generation, we have the shortest attention spans of all time. You've managed <laughs> to keep our attention for COVID for this long. I don't think anyone's really super interested in the variants. I'll just be honest here. Plus, plus you're in the top 1% of the immunity, right? So you'll be fine. Oh, no I mean, there's gonna... no question. Actually, <laughs> your boy, Tom Brady, made this exact point during the season. He was basically like, TB12 keeps me immune from COVID. Yeah, but nah, he didn't say it exactly like that. I, I mean... You got to read between the lines. A he he bit said a healthy lifestyle and thing all helps helps you know your body kind of deal with it or prevent it. 
Um, and which then TB12, true. obviously, which is, is true tied to that. Yeah. yeah. At, the, at the very baseline, the numbers are very clear that certain types of health conditions specifically are the ones that have the most adverse effects. Brady is the polar opposite of all of those. Plus, he adds his like scoop of avocado ice cream per night, <laughs> which gives him that extra layer of protection. Yep. But, yep, yep. All right. So we have a ton going on uh, in the sports world, it feels like. Uh, the NFL draft is coming up next week, which for some reason I'm like weirdly really excited about. It's not even like uh, Washington has a top pick like we did last year. Uh, but for some reason, I'm just super pumped about that. So we want to get to that a little bit. Got to talk about uh, the meteoric rise and then fall of the Super League. Uh, we're not huge soccer guys. You probably a little bit more than me. Uh, used to be, but not as much anymore. Used to be, yeah. yeah. But at the same time, you know, we I think it's 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 got a lot of ripple waves, ripples potentially across the sports landscape. But we thought we'd start it off, of course, with a little NBA. Now, our inbox thick and thin hoops at gmail.com is sparse uh, to say the least. We do have a few questions that we get from time and you know, every now and then, but not enough to create a segment. So we said, what better way than instead of crowdsourcing, we'll just self source. So we've each got four questions for the other person, right? Nope. Um, I don't know your questions. You don't know my questions. So this is going to be the most exciting thing that happens all week. I think to anybody really listening or even ourselves, so why don't you kick us off? What's your first question that's top of mind for you as we get down to the wire here? About 15 games left in the regular season and then on to the playoffs. All right, here's my first question. Based on this insane run Steph has been on, yep. there's a lot of MVP chatter. And Steph recently, I think, was it today or yesterday, literally came out and said he deserves the MVP. Yep. My question is not should he get MVP or not. My question is, should he finish top three in the MVP race this year? I think asking that is basically a participation trophy. That's what it feels like to me, right? Like if you get this honorary top three placement, it means, hey, we know you're not the MVP and you had no chance to be the MVP, but of the like fallen graveyard of stars, you were the last, you know, you're the next guy up behind the prohibitive top two in Jokic and Embiid. So forget about it. So. It's not a prediction. I'm not pre- like it's not about predicting whether he'll get in that top three and get recognized. It's about yeah. what do you believe no. he should be. No, and 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 I actually am on the record to say that you have been massively disrespectful to Steph, uh, <laughs> not just this year but over the duration of his career. And I still would say no. And here's why: the NBA is very very clear on the MVP and the typical winner profile, and he does not fit that mold. If you were a seven seed, maybe even an eight seed, playing or not, right? Still at least in the top eight with after the full regular season, you could argue. He's nine right now. They lost again, by the way, to the Washington <laughs> Wizards. Um, he It doesn't look like they're going to get above nine, right? They're 29 and 30. He's been a revelation. I don't think there needs to be further discussion about just how fucking good he's been, especially over the last month. But that's just not how the award is is voted on. And I don't think that he deserves it for that reason. Like you can't be a 500 or potentially sub 500 team as good as he's been, which is reaching his actual MVP season peak, if not surpassing it and get that award. And I know his team's trash and I know Draymond is a different version of himself and no clan yada, yada, but 
If if we're talking first team All NBA, he's a lock. If we're talking top three, I pass. What do you say? I agree too. I pass. Um, so there's not much uh, disagreement here, and <laughs> I think I, I think the reasoning is is like you said the. MVP, it has to be someone on a contending team. I'm sorry, that's just the way the rules are written. The one year they didn't pick someone from a top four seed was Russ. He was a six seed. I am going to say something a little bit controversial, though. Steph's run has been insane. Absolutely insane. I have to walk back some of my comments. He's been unreal. But let's not talk about how this is something that we've never seen before in the league. James Harden... And I don't know why people don't give this run enough credit. And you tweeted a little bit about this. But James Harden, let me let me give you this wild stat. And I verified this by actually going through basketball reference and adding up the numbers myself. You in didn't between get like 20, an, you didn't 2019. You didn't get an intern to do this? <laughs> no, he was busy. <laughs> he was out after he made our logo. Um, he was out 28... after Moderna's second shot. He's no longer around. <laughs> 28... Uh, 18-19 season and 2019-2020 season. If you take the end of that 18-19 season and the beginning of the 1920 season and you take a 93-game sample size, right? Mm -hmm. It's a 93-game stretch in a row. James Harden put up 38 points a game on 62% true shooting. Over 93 games. And so while we're all uh, ogling over Steph's recent stretch, you know, he's still on the season 32 points a game. Um, it's great. He's having a fantastic year. But I think this is something that's not unprecedented. We've seen Harden do it. And then obviously we saw Kobe in 0506, which is much earlier. And so that's why I, as much as everyone's kind of fawning over Steph and he has been absolutely incredible, especially given that we think a lot of people thought he was past his prime. I think we got to cool it with just how historic this run is because Harden did it and did it at a much higher level for a much longer time period. The, the the difference is so I, I okay let me say this I feel like of a lot of people I am a defender of James Harden because I think I recognize his greatness outside of like his, the aesthetic appeal of watching him play basketball which in Houston was not great in Brooklyn's been a lot better but that is why a lot of people hate on him right the the, the style of play is so just grating and difficult to watch that you really really struggle to appreciate the production in that same manner um i think with steph so let me put that aside because i think harden's now trending towards being maybe one of the most underappreciated players really ever when you talk about his historical historical comps and one of the reasons why i do want him to have a title by the end of his career i don't want it to come with this version of brooklyn because i just would that would just leave a sour taste in my mouth but i do want him to be a lead guy on a title at some point in his career steph's the reason why steph's is different is a couple things. One, he, okay, from a just pure efficiency standpoint, his three-point shooting is just on another planet, right? Like a lot of those Harden games, I'm sure you can go back and look, and it's the 15 free throw attempts, 17 free throw attempts, 20 free throw attempts. And yes, those are points. That's the way that they officiated him, and he took every advantage. But when you, you know, in a four-game stretch, when five-game stretch, he goes... 10, 11, one game with four, 11, 10, made threes. That is rarefied air in a way we just have not seen um, before in, in any capacity. So it is a little bit historic from the shooting standpoint. Then you factor in the fact that 
he has been as great as he is, especially by his peers, he gets this. I don't know why. Like we talked about this um, several weeks ago, I think. Uh, I don't remember who was on the podcast, but we talked about why Steph was was sort of underappreciated by his peers. The media loves him, right? The media, this is like the the fucking fucking the the son that they never had. But with the peers, they don't respect him in that same manner. And even in the last year when he didn't play last year, and you know, they got off to kind of a slow start, it was kind of starting to trend towards that again. And I think that's what makes this a little different, which is like, hey, you thought I went somewhere and really it was just that I missed a season and I'm right back to the exact great player I was before. So there's some of that too, I think, in play. Plus the 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 you know just the general army of journalists he has behind him. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's true, I, and I think what he's doing from a three point volume perspective, like you said, like what's that crazy stat in terms of players who have had more than ten, 10 or eleven game, three, ten threes, yeah, and it's, it's him, like, and then like yeah, twenty something, right? And then yeah. plays like the next on the list of five. So yeah. from that standpoint, I get it. The, the free throw argument is funny. I looked this up too because I was like, oh, it's because Harden shot way more free throws. Harden made four more free throws over that stretch than what Steph is doing this season and scored seven more points per game? on average per game. That's a lot. Uh, yeah, but but he scored seven more points. So my point is that, that there's it wasn't just the free throws that was bulking up that scoring number. He was making more shots also. And anyways, I, I didn't want to make this a Harden versus Steph thing. Steph is just an incredible player. I obviously is going to say he's better than Harden. The point I'm trying to bring up is the way it's being brought up this past couple weeks is that we are seeing something that is totally unprecedented and by volume of threes sure but from a scoring standpoint we've seen this and it hasn't led to an mvp harden didn't win it um when he went through that insane stretch and then durant or sorry not durant kobe didn't win it in 0506 either so i think we got to put a kibosh on the mvp talk you could argue Kobe should have won it. I thought the 08 award was a lifetime achievement award, and the real one that he deserved was 06, but that's neither here nor there. And he was a um, six seed. The Warriors right now are 10. They're not even yeah. nine. They're 10. Did they fall to 10? San Antonio I think today, overtook yeah, because... them? Oh, wow. Um, and New Orleans is just a mess. Okay, speaking of New Orleans, that leads me to my first question, uh, which some of you may have seen on Twitter. Follow me at NCuchiBotla for all the freshest takes. No, just kidding. Um... <laughs> I was watching the Pelicans blow a very winnable game versus Brooklyn on Sunday. Um, And a lot of that is on Stan Van Gundy being one of the worst coaches in the league. But I was thinking to myself as I watched Zion go at Blake, is Zion Williamson already as good as peak Blake Griffin? So I, I saw this question and it says a lot about Zion that this is even a question that you could actually make an argument on either side about how good Zion's been this year. I still think Prime Blake. And because here, here's the thing with Prime Blake. Prime Blake was a great passer, had a respect, you know, a three-point shot you had to at least respect. He wasn't a volume three. He'd never been a volume three-point shooter. Never been a great defensive player. but And he had the athleticism to boot with the efficient scoring inside. Now, Zion, I think, is even more elite scoring, but Zion, to me, it's like when you compare, let's say, compare LeBron and the Cavs, when, uh, what is the season he averaged 30 points a game, like 09, 010, or 09, 10, or 08, 09? Compare that with Miami LeBron. On paper, and sometimes when you watch it, you're like, oh, the the first version of LeBron averaging 30 points a game, 37 and 7, is better 
Yeah. But the reason Miami LeBron is always seen as a better player is just because he's a more well-rounded player, does all the little things, uh, and just knows how to impact the game in more ways than just one or two skills. And so that's the difference between Blake and Zion. I, I think Zion is definitely going to surpass Blake maybe even next year. I don't think he's there yet. I think he still has a lot of aspects on his, of his game to work on, but I think the ceiling's much higher, obviously. What do you I think? think Zion is clearly a better player right now than peak Blake Griffin. And let me tell you why I think okay. you're going to look at that on the surface level, level and say it's idiotic. In 2013-14, which is probably Blake Griffin's best season, he finished second team all NBA. And more importantly, he was third in the MVP race. So you're talking about that kind of ceiling, which Zion is nowhere close to third, right? Zion is not going to finish on anyone's ballot because of how bad the Pelicans are. But if you just look at it of like one guy plays with Chris Paul in his prime, DeAndre Jordan, the perfect role man in his athletic prime, JJ Redick, Matt Barnes, Jamal Crawford, et cetera, versus one guy who's got freaking Eric Bledsoe just clanking, right? And Stan Van Gundy doing jack shit. Every number uh, from an advanced number standpoint is actually pretty close, if not the slight edge to Zion. I'm talking wind shares, PER, usage. So it's all neck and neck. Then you talk about the efficiency of Zion scoring the basketball. I think where he could lose points to Blake is defensively, but it's not like Blake was ever like contesting for yeah. all defense type. I mean, he wasn't that kind of guy. DeAndre helped him on the back end. Chris Paul is obviously an elite perimeter defender. I just think you watch this team and when I mentioned this last week, he just scores so effortlessly and it's like automatic, right? To the point that it's so frustrating watching the Pelicans when they don't just pass it to him on every possession that he's on the floor. Like stop doing this Kyra Lewis fucking isos at the top of the key. It's just insane. And I think when you, when you factor in the lack of help that he has other than Brandon Ingram, which I think we all know is not necessarily a perfect fit. When you factor in the fact that he, I'm going to throw out age, right? Because if I'm asking this question, I'm, age is irrelevant. Like, what your experience is, is irrelevant. I'm yep. just straight, in, saying straight up as a player. I actually think he, I mean, put him on any team that has a competent point guard and it's over. Like, that's the big question. Like, you talked last week about how you wish New Orleans had Drew Holiday. Uh, I think that's a fair question because it's like, what could he have unlocked further from uh, Zion that he doesn't get right now from and in you know inconsistent uh, Lonzo and a definitely like just shitty version of, of of Bledsoe, but I might be jumping the gun. That is my tendency, but give me Zion all day because I've never seen a dominant scorer like this since Prime Shaq. I can't. Low I can't score, dis- I should say, not like a Kevin Durant. Obviously, I can't dispute what Zion's done this season. I just think there's two. My LeBron comp that I just made. It's the same thing that you just said. LeBron back in that 08, 09, even 07, he looked unstoppable against Detroit when he had that 29 out of the 30 point scoring stretch. I could argue that he looked more unstoppable then than he did in Miami. But but that I don't think means you're a better player. I think all these players, especially in their early career, they're on a bad team. They have an insane year where they're just putting up crazy numbers. I think Zion's going through that phase. But I don't think that necessarily, you know, in a couple of years, Zion may not be this efficient at the rim. His numbers might drop a little bit, but he could be a better player. And I think that's the difference. And I think Blake, I don't even think, you know, 2013, 2014, he had his highest scoring output, but he still wasn't a three-point shooter that year. He, that's true. He still, I, I mean, he finished third in MVP that year. That's why I grabbed that. But yes, he, he did. His, yeah. he, he but a couple years player. later, you know, he had the scoring wasn't the same, but he became just a much better 
an all-around player. Yeah. And what I and Zion is showing some flashes of passing and and you know other aspects to his game. Totally. I don't think he's there yet though. So Zion, I, that that's something we can't ignore. He's basically running the point when he because he and Ingram stagger right. So Zion will come out kind of early to midway through the first, come back at the end of the first, and lead the offense start of the second. He's effectively the point guard in those in those instances. There's been a lot written about how you know point Zion is this whole new revolution. Yep. You look at his assist percentage; it's not quite peak Blake Griffin, but it's it's getting up there. It's approaching twenty percent, um, which means twenty percent of the possessions that he has end in assist, which. For a guy who has as limited experience playing point guard throughout his life as he does, that's crazy. Um, and now I'm embarrassed, by the way, that I said I might rather have Lamelo than Zion. Uh, <laughs> that was a more, even more prisoner of the moment take. When, than this one oh, when was that? I totally forgot about that. Remember, take. I asked you. I, but in my defense, I said I know Zion will be the better player for the next five to seven years. I said that. That's a clear answer but it's just longevity health wise which well you know, i think I, I remember answering very firmly and clearly it was zion so at least i was on the right side of history with that one you said it was going to be tyrese halliburton that's who you'd take of the three <laughs> all right what's your second question all right here's my second question it's a little thought experiment i, I saw right. online um Say you have to remove the top two players from every single team. Now, I haven't given you time to do homework to actually like process what each roster would look like. I play like. Sporkle every day. Like, it's fine. Like, I got it. Take the top two players off each team yep. this season. Yep. Who wins the title? So, it's interesting. I think I go Brooklyn. Because they're the only team oh. that has three players of a all NBA of an all NBA caliber, and, and all three of those guys probably well, sorry, Durant won't because of health most likely, but all three are are playing all NBA caliber ball this year. The other team that was in my mind, I'll just tell you, was Utah, just because of their depth and their shooting. But I think if you take out the top two, assuming you're you're saying Harden and Durant are the two best players on Brooklyn. I think Kyrie is going to be the best player in the league at that point. Um, and, I, and I think that that should be enough. Granted, you never like him as your lead guy, but if he's playing like Matisse Teibel and Shake Milton in round two, like I, I trust that he's able to get by them. Okay. So, but, but you, do you, can you name who the, the Nets five would be? It would be the lineup they're playing right now, right? It would be Joe Harris, who's one of the best role players in the league. It would be Bruce Brown. It would be Kyrie, Blake Griffin, Nick Claxton. You have DeAndre Jordan, Shamit, Timothy Cabrillet, Luau, or whatever off the bench. Jeff Green. Actually, Jeff yeah, Green. not a bad roster. I mean, they've done a decent job, all things considered, um, putting together some depth around those stars. And I was actually going to ask you, I was thinking about this. Like, We know the top three guys, I think, have only played seven games together. Um, mm -hmm. what's really weird, and I want to get to your answer, but I just wanted to mention this because I was thinking about this earlier. What's really weird is they've had every other combination play together too. When, what I mean by that is two stars of those three, there's been different guys out at each point, and then they've all played by themselves too. Yep. Um, so what a weird, I don't know if this is helpful. I don't know if this is like going to screw them in the playoffs, but what a weird situation where they've had every variation of their star power on the court at once. 
Yeah, I don't know if it's going to help necessarily because all these guys have played that role before. It's not like they needed to see if they could handle the scoring load and win games on their own. The question is going to be how they all mesh. Yeah. But I, I, I like the Nets pick. I actually do. I, I think there are a couple that came to mind. One was the Suns. Now, you lose. The Suns are not a. <laughs> what? They've got talent. I, I wouldn't trust that team. You going Jay life. Crowder ISO with the game on the <laughs> line? <laughs> you got DeAndre Aiden. You got Mikel Bridges. You got Cam Johnson, Dario Sarge. These are nice guys. Um, and Aiden, You're I guess, is just up nicely for my next question, but continue. Um, and then the other one is Miami is is kind of interesting too because Dragic can you know Dragic is a vet. You got uh, Kendrick Nunn. You got Hero. You got Precious Ashua. You got um, oh Iggy. Iggy brings some vet experience. You know that, that team. Iggy's gonna be... shoot the ball into the crowd at this point of his career, dude. <laughs> that team. That team was a high floor. Because I mean, Dragic could be a tw- Miami for a second. Yeah. They have, by all accounts, two of the best fifteen to eighteen players in the league who are both playing well this season. They have not been on the court a lot, especially Jimmy Butler. Why is this team so bad, though? Like, they're seventh, and we thought they were going to move. I asked you this last week. They have not made a move. You know, you could talk to Tyler, about Tyler Hero, et cetera, but, like, Butler and Bam are both playing really well, and their numbers bear it out, both regular and advanced. And this team is just – they're just not kind of getting – like, it's not clicking. I, I think a lot of it is just the East is is better this season, and a lot of those easy wins they got last year, you, you're playing tougher games against the Hornets and the Knicks and the Hawks. And, and that's making the difference between having a, a fourth seed. And what are they right now? Seven? Eight? They're seven. Uh, seven. They did win yeah. tonight, but they're going to be... I the the competition is just that much better um, at the at the middle of the East. So they, they're kind of a weird team. They've had a lot of issues throughout the season. They got off to a really slow start, and they've been fighting that ever since. And I know they haven't lit the world on fire still, but that slow start is really what's holding them back. And, and they had a lot of injuries and COVID issues, so... I'm not so, worried about them. I, I just think this team is a high floor, and that's why I take them. Even without Jimmy and um, they play well, Bam, a, they, yeah, they, they play, play hard, well. they play well. And actually, that's a good point, which is like, who's the best defensive team? Sands are top two guys because I think that could go a long way into winning the title. I just think Kyrie seems to be clearly the best player that would be left, yeah. um, unless you're thinking maybe Rui, uh, Rui Hachimura, and like he and Robin Lopez could maybe do a little two man game thing for the title. <laughs> Unless you were going that route. I don't, I mean, I don't know. It's possible. Like we've won like a hundred straight games, but yeah. <laughs> um, all right. You know, the other team that would be interesting actually, and we just glossed over it, Atlanta, because they win oh. without Trey. Who is their, their second, second guy? Bogdanovich. Is it Collins? Oh, see? Look at that. It's Capella. I think he's been on. Okay, it has to be Capella. But then fire. you still got Bogdanovich. You got Collins. You're right. It's uh... Maybe it's Atlanta. Actually, I, I, I'm switching my pick. I think it's the Hawks, <laughs> man. Give me Bogdanovich, Gallinari, John Collins, Kevin Herter, DeAndre Hunter. Wait, who's the other big guy? I'm blanking on the other, uh, uh, on the other white guy. Iwo, uh, Kongu. No, the white guy. Who's the white guy on their team? Are you talking about like uh, who are you talking about? Gallinari. Are you talking about Mike Muscala. Oh, Gallinari. Yeah. There you go. That's a good piece. All right, and this leads me to my. I'm telling you, you're teeing me up well. This leads me to my next question. 
What do we make of Trey Young now that he is no longer an easy punching bag? Wait, so uh, clarify. What do you mean? The because Luka the Trey are killing it? The Luca Trey trade from the moment it happened up until now has been mocked. It's been made fun of. It's been decidedly one way. And everything that's happened has has proven that to be true. Trey Young is ranked as basically the worst defensive guard in the league um, all three seasons he's been here. But suddenly he has a competent coach. He has a good roster around him. They spent a lot. People questioned some of those signings. And they're fifth in the East. And after the Lloyd Pierce finding, they've been firing, excuse me, they've been on fire. Uh, part of that was just getting healthy. Part of that is Nate McMillan gets the most out of his players. We saw that in Indiana. This is a legit playoff team. Like this is a team that's going to give Boston or Milwaukee or whoever they end up facing a lot of trouble in round one. And Trey Young goes from being this bad, st- good stats, bad team guy to someone who, wait a second, is he a real building block? And I think it's going to be, a lot of eating crow for a lot of people. I'm Maybe out. Including I'm still out. Us. I'm still out. I'm still out. Look, Trey Young, the reason the Hawks, first of all, he's been playing well, sure, but he's been playing, he's been putting up numbers all season long. Bogdanovich's return has really helped them. Um, and the rest of that team is just, is playing well overall. I don't think this is all because of a leap that Trey made in his game. And you can't win with a volume scoring guard like Trey Young. It's just that pro, that archetype of a player does not win championships, does not contend at the one seed, two seed level. Steph is an anomaly. Steph is one of a kind. I don't think a guy like Trey, with his defensive deficiencies, he's still not as good of a passer as Steph, still not as good of a just a cerebral player. He could get better. I just don't think this version of Trey still impresses me. I, I'm still think I still think of him as an empty stats guy. See, this is exactly the problem, right? This is the prevailing narrative about Trey that's maybe no longer true. So let me compare last year versus this year, because last year was the ultimate, oh my God, those stats are crazy, but you your team sucks and they're bad when you're on the court, right? He averaged 29 points and nine, nine and a half assists last year, right? Uh, which is crazy number, almost 30 points a game. And he took 21 shots a game. He was a starter in the All-Star game and his team sucked. This year... Still nine and a half assists, shooting similar splits, but three attempts down and four points down, which means he's actually doing what he was criticized for and what you just criticized him for again, which is other guys are stepping up. Yeah, because he's allowing them to. He's letting the game come to him in a lot more of a point guard type way, right? He has Bogdanovich to take the pressure off him. He has Capella and John Collins and all these guys who are cleaning up down low, making open threes, Kevin Herter. And like, it's actually coming together. Like we're so quick and I include myself here, but we're so quick to be like, this guy sucks and he's never going to be anything. He was 21 last season. He's now 22. This is the same rap on him at Oklahoma that he, he overcame. Like, why can't it be that he just kind of figured out how to play a way that isn't selfish anymore? Isn't that a step forward, even if his numbers have taken maybe a marginal step back? Like, isn't that what we wanted from him? That's what we want from everyone. That's what, you know, for Booker is another guy who went through this where he's scoring less now, but probably gets more recognition because he's distributing the ball more, playing within the flow of an offense. I'll give credit to Trey. 
But just like you said, what Bogdanovich has unlocked for that offense, the burden he's taken off Trey, that is what's helping unlock the Hawks. And you're right, Trey step, stepping back is helping them. That doesn't make me feel any better about him as a player. It just makes me feel better about what that team needs to do to win. I still don't, I'm not convinced that he is the best player on a contending team. He and doesn't have to be the best player, right? I don't, he can be the second best. Do you think he's not even equipped for that? No, he's definitely equipped for that, but that's not what, like, Trey Young is being compared to guys. He's He was an all-star last year. He's thought of as an all-star. He's always going to have Luka attached to his name, whether it's fair or not, because of the trade in the draft. He's got to play like the best player in his team. If he's the second best player in the team, fine, whatever. But that's, like, that's not how we should be evaluating. But as the best player on his team, he's leading him to potentially a top four seed in the East. Mid through a midseason coaching change. Imagine if they well, had the Knicks are now four. Well, they won tonight, yes, but like potential top four. But imagine if they had late McMillan the whole season. Imagine if they had good health the whole season. Then what are we talking about? Maybe they don't approach Milwaukee, but maybe they have a firmer grasp on four, right? So suddenly, if you say, okay, as the best player on a team, he can be a top four seed in the East. Now we're talking about a different thing. Look, Damian Lillard, everybody's ready to like name the Hall of Fame after this guy. He's never done anything other than like one deep playoff run and a bunch of just nice moments. And he's the best player on his team, right? So why can't Trey Young have a, a career that emulates that? Not Dame also plays in the West, in a, in a stacked West. Okay, but he plays in a stacked West, but it's not like he's competing for a top seed a year after year. They're usually at the bottom of the, the playoff standing. True. Yeah, if, if if Trey can be Dame, that's a successful career. I mean, Dame is an All NBA. I'm not type saying guy. he can be Dame, but I'm saying that if he was Dame, he would still be the best player on a team that isn't competing for a title. And you're saying that that's a mark of failure for Trey, but I don't think that we're evaluating someone like Dame as a failure for being in that same position. I'll be honest, I just don't like Trey. Nobody does. This is the problem. This is exactly why I asked the question. But why? I, I don't understand why. Like he, by all metrics, he's I think the kind of guy hair. we should like. I think it's <laughs> the hair. Like if he, he just was looks, an NBA he look star, like an NBA he would have figured this hair thing out already. Like LeBron went into the lab, came back, and figured it out. Like we want Trey to do something similar. He's just got to cut it. Yeah, he's got to. He's, he's got, actually he's rocking goggles right now because I think he got poked in the eye. And, and now, he, well, he hurt his ankle today. Did you see that? Yes, I had a, not to make this about me and FanDuel, but I did have a, <laughs> let's just say he hit two free throws that gave him 20 points and I had him in a parlay to score 20 or more and he turns his ankle immediately after. Oh God, that's brutal. So I was obviously unhappy that it happened, but maybe not 100% unhappy at that moment. Um, You're not playing spreads this week, but you should have seen this, this Clippers and uh, Suns game. Oh. Not Clippers Suns, sorry. Uh, Suns Sixers was three and a half. And Suns it ended from tonight. And Chris Paul misses that last free throw, and they oh only win by three. And I had I put a 10 on the Suns. Oh, it was brutal. See, I, I think you have to bet Philly at home. I know they're missing guys, but they're always competitive and mostly win at home. And they suck on the road. That's been the case for the last couple of years. And I just think that, like, at home, if a bead's playing, you got to give it to him. Hey, one quick point on Luca. Did you watch, and I'm only asking this because that's the Kings. Did you watch the Mavs-Kings uh, game from last week that the Kings won? No. I've, I've stopped watching. Or actually, I did I did, did see the end. Um, yeah. Fourth so, quarter, but. So Luca had maybe, I don't know, 
12 points going into the fourth or something pretty nominal. And they were getting their ass kicked, right? Yep. And it is it was actually kind of insane to watch, but he proceeds to basically score on every possession, like almost. Mm-hmm. Threes, free throws, drives, floaters, like the whole bag, right? But as I was watching it, I was like, yes, this is successful, but he's kind of like forgetting what it means to be the leader of the team. Mm-hmm. Like guys, like you could watch Tim Hardaway Jr., Josh Richardson, Maxi Kleber, like these guys are open and, and, and Luca's scoring. So it's hard to say he shouldn't be shooting, but part of the game is also understanding when to give and when to take. They're getting their ass beat. Part of the problem that they're not able to come back is because they can't get stops. One of the reasons you can't get stops is sometimes people are disinterested. How do you get them a little bit more interested? Let them feel like they're a part of the offense, right? And it was literally Luca just getting the inbounds or getting the rebound and just going one-on-one over and over and over again. And it was one of the most in, like incredible like individual displays of just a skill. But I think we're we're actually drifting a little too far into the Luca do whatever the fuck you want to do, and there's no um, there's no reins, there's no rules, and I think I hope let's just say that it doesn't hurt him and the team long term when they do add a better roster around him. And it just reminded me when we were talking about that Trey because that has been a big criticism of Trey his first couple of years in the league, and now I think it's starting to actually drift over to Luca, which is a you know curious turn of events. The critical difference is Luca. The reason Luca plays like that is because they've won a lot of games like that. They've won a lot of games where Luca's put them on his back. I mean, you think about the Clippers series last year. He had a couple of games where it was just Luca possession after possession, and and so that works for the most part. And so when you get into trouble, when you get down, they revert to that. And it, it's a bad habit. I agree. I, I think he needs to realize you have to play within the flow of the team. But it's something that. With this team, there's been so many times he's had to bail them out that that's just going to be the way he plays. The difference between him and Trey, Trey hasn't won when he's gone hero, you know, hero ball. He's won, he's he's lost no matter how he's played until this season. So I think Luca gets a little bit longer of a leash. I think the the bad part about Luca, and I saw this when I was watching that Kings Mavs game, is his the complaining, which we've always known has been bad. It's gotten to a whole yeah. nother level. Yes. And it's think about how your team must react when not only are you taking every single shot, but then you're kind of dogging it on defense and spending more time trying to get the officials attention. And that I think is a bigger problem for him that he needs to kind of play above all that. He needs to just fucking calm down and just play basketball. Um, a lot of guys could probably take that advice. I think he is risen to the top quickly on that list. Especially, yeah, I mean, we're talking out. about him as like a perennial MVP at this point. So, yeah. you know, he deserves criticism. Especially with LeBron out, somebody had to take the mantle of chief complainer. And Luke yeah. was like, I got it. Like, step aside. This is mine. Um, all right. What is your third question? We spent a lot of time on that. But I think it's good because we have not talked enough about Atlanta, especially in the last month when they've made this move. But all right. What's your third question? Yeah, I mean, trust me, Kings fans are. You look at the way Bogdanovich is playing, and it's just like, yeah, man. it's got to be every a player punch. when they leave the Kings, man. Like Jabari Parker, right, could not even get minutes with us. He immediately goes to the Celtics and puts up two solid games. Was now, he I, on the Kings this season? Like, did he play yeah. for you this year? No, he he just he was just kind of a, a DNP coach's decision, and they just waived him. Yeah, 
he still sucks. Like, I, I don't think that he's going to do anything with Boston, but it's just funny that, like, clearly he's giving them something, and maybe Luke could have tried him out. Our team sucks. So, so uh, the Wizards did a tour of duty with him three years ago or two and a half years ago. And I will say his knees are shot and his defense is just his, non-existent. It's his defense. Like he can still score, but his defense he, is. But I was, yeah, he can still score. I think like he can still get buckets and it's kind of impressive given that he has like no lift in his knees and he just can't move laterally. It's actually pretty impressive. I feel bad for the guy. I mean, two ACLs, it's no joke, but. It's a different. Yeah, yeah. His athleticism hurts him on D. Yeah, but his his IQ also is just just watching him try to once a play. Just there are a couple rotations that happen. He's just useless. He's like, not can you imagine anything. a Boston Brooklyn series where Kyrie's hunting him on the pick and roll? Like, yeah, he won't. That, he can't get any playing time. In the, in the I mean, it's fine for now, like especially with Fournier out. But all right, what do you got for me? All right, I'm going to ask. We talked about all NBA a little bit. Yes, I don't want to go through. I love all the, NBA. Oh, I I, I want to litigate one potential bubble. Two guys who I don't know. One of them will probably make it. One of them won't. So Donovan Mitchell or Paul George, who mm. do you think is more deserving of an all NBA spot? And I think I think both these guys are going to come down to one of those guard spots on the third team. Um, who do you got? So what makes this tricky is how long Mitchell will be out with the ankle injury. I know it wasn't that severe. Forget about the injury. Take that out of the equation. But I think it matters, right? Because I think availability matters. But if I'm picking one guy, I'm picking Donovan Mitchell. I think Paul George has been good, but Paul George has cooled off a little bit from like that incredible start, right? I think if you look at the numbers themselves, Mitchell carries a higher offensive burden, just given that he's the prime scorer. Like you could argue, um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue against you if you said if you told me Rudy Gobert was the Jazz best player, or most valuable player, or whatever. But he's clearly not their best offensive player, right? His value comes from defense. But with with the Clippers, it runs through Kawhi if Kawhi's on the floor, and I think being that secondary scorer secondary playmakers kind of like the guy who's gonna hit the big shots like if Kawhi doesn't have the look is a huge huge change in role from one that Mitchell occupies which is I am the lead guy and I have to go get the buckets down the stretch Mitchell struggled a ton with this early in his career um he was a gunner he was inefficient he basically chucked to get his numbers and I hated the Dwayne Wade comparisons because they didn't you know it didn't seem like he was getting his numbers through the flow of the offense he's gotten a lot better in this respect he's become a better shooter i think he's hitting 38 percent. i mean paul george is scorched earth right now at like 43 percent from three so that yeah. i but i just think he gets easier looks the team is designed to give him better looks and i and i just think that you know if i'm picking one clippers are every bit as talented as the jazz and the jazz are a better team so i'm giving it to the jazz's best offensive player donovan mitchell I think I think it goes to Paul George, and I think the Paul George is is such a weird player because he's been memed and made fun of, and he he brings a lot of it on himself that I don't think anyone wants to give him credit when he's been playing well, and it's fair, you know, because we know he can play well. He's put together an MVP type season before. The question has always been, what are you going to do in the playoffs? And, and people are not going to give him his due until he does that. 
come on, man. He's like you said, his his scoring number, he's not scoring 26 points a game like Donovan Mitchell, but 43% from three. And he's playing that alpha role. Like there have been a lot of games with Kawhi out, and the Clippers offense doesn't really miss a beat. And Kawhi and Paul George has taken his game to that 30, 35, 40, showing he can still do that, you know, on a given night. Yeah. And put the entire team's offense on his shoulders. I, I think that has to be commended. Um, and, and Donovan Mitchell, he's been great this season. I just think that that Jazz team has now put so many smart pieces and good pieces around him that it alleviates so much of that pressure he's had in the past. And with Conley playing the way he is, with Clarkson coming off the bench, getting guard minutes, um, you know, with Bogdanovich, all these guys, it, it's it's less impressive now what he's doing. And I think Paul George still, that, I mean, that Clippers team has got a lot of talent as well, but I yeah, just think yeah. he stepped it up. You actually make a fair point, which is even though Clippers have Kawhi, which is like kind of the ultimate ace card, Utah might have a better team, especially in terms of what's being asked of Mitchell, right? Because you didn't even mention Ingles and yep. and like even Gobert, like from from a pick and roll standpoint, right? Like having that lob threat. Um, yeah, I mean, the biggest difference is Paul George is 62% true shooting. Mitchell's at 57%. Pretty much the other numbers are similar across the board. I just... And here's what I makes watch, that more impressive. Paul George is not even taking a lot of free throws. He's not getting a line to the line a lot. No, He's just it's been all killing people shooting. with his jumper. It's, it's been all it's jump shooting this year. This is actually a potential Achilles heel for the Clippers, is that all they do is shoot jumpers. Marcus <laughs> Morris, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George... Nicholas Batum, Luke Kennard, like none of these guys get to the line. Serge Ibaka, like nobody gets to the line. And I don't know if that's going to change in the playoffs, but it's going to be a big issue if those start, shots start, don't start falling. Um, I, I I, just think that like, and I, I've, I've said this a couple times, but I just think it, we, we try to do this thing where we put the Clippers in this rarefied air that they don't deserve. And I'm not going to give them two all-NBA players because Kawhi is going to make first team. When you think about the injuries to LeBron, Durant, even Giannis has now missed an, a, a number of games. Kawhi has too, but I think he actually is so, somehow like leading the that group in games played or is right there with Giannis. I think I just I don't know. I don't want to give the Clippers two two um, first you know two All NBA players. I just think that like every year they're like going to be finished third, second, whatever, and like they're always going to feel like they're underachieving to me because they're tr- they're purposely trying to. And if they don't care, then why should I care about? rewarding them with regular season award uh, accolades yeah i mean you're right big picture if you just look at a big picture utah the dominant season they've had number one seed you reward a team like that when they've got two players playing at such a high level more so than a team like the clippers so i'm not gonna argue there i just think that not enough people are talking about paul george and i'm gonna cap this question by saying neither of those guys are on my all-nba team and i'm giving it to one of the phoenix suns which begs my third question, why isn't Chris Paul getting more MVP buzz? Chris Paul and MVP buzz. And, and, and let me, here, let me here's why. Here's why. Yeah, Jay Crowder and Chris Paul were the only additions to this team, to their main rotation, that went from a forgotten, you know, they had the nice little bubble run, but other than that, they were a forgotten team. Same coaching staff who was on the hot seat. Devin Booker, another season of being kind of like the good stats, bad team. DeAndre Ayton, who knows what we have. 
you throw Chris Paul into the mix and suddenly they're probably going to finish one and definitely at least two in the, in the West. It's not a coincidence because we see this time in and time, time out. From an impact standpoint, there's no argument for why Chris Paul should not be considered the MVP. It's not just it's not just taking a team like Phoenix. It's taking a franchise like Phoenix. Like I always think of Chris Paul as if you put him on the Kings today, and I know the fit's not as great because we have De'Aaron Fox, but literally he could lift us to another 10, 15 win, like put Easy. us all of a sudden in the playoff. Like, Easy. And and that's a for a franchise that somehow can't get out of the gutter, and Phoenix has been like that for several years. I don't think it's uh, can be stated enough how how impactful he's been. That being said, MVP has become a lot about counting stats as well. And the problem with with Chris Paul is you're going up against guys who are putting insane numbers. Like we talk about Curry, we talk about Giannis, we talk about Jokic, advanced stats, traditional counting metrics, every number you can find, they're bl- they're blowing it out the water. And so it's hard to to put Chris Paul in a direct comparison with those guys, even though his impact might be higher. We I mean we've seen Steve Nash win an MVP, uh, taking a twenty six or twenty something win Phoenix team to a sixty one win team, and he only averaged fifteen and eleven. And and to me, Chris Paul has that kind of a candidacy where forget about just the numbers. You watch him play and you watch how he transforms a team. That should be good enough. Yeah. But in today's day and age, there's just too many guys with just like if Giannis is putting up 33, 15 and 10 and still a pretty good team, it's like, how do you argue that Chris Paul deserves it more? Right. It's definitely a different era than those Nash Suns teams where the numbers weren't as just generally, you know, ridiculous. And also this season, especially where offensive numbers are through the roof. But if you're really thinking about the definition of the award and everybody's going to have their own, I feel like, you know, you talked, you started this pod about asking why Steph is Steph's third. I think Chris Paul might be third. I think he's top five for me, at least like what more would an MVP mean other than exactly what he's doing. And he's starting to get a lot of, um, interestingly, he didn't make the all-star team in Houston in those two years. Cause I think he had some injuries and such, but He's made an all-star team with four different franchises, right? Um, a fifth one, I think, would be a record. Even four, I'd have to check. I know Shaq's done it with four, so that would probably be tied for the record. Did he make but it with Phoenix? He did, yeah, one year. Um, and you think about, like, okay, a lot of times they've been putting up those graphics of, like, what each team did before and after they got him. And the OKC actually, I think, had a slightly worse record, but that totally glosses over the fact that they traded Russell Westbrook and Paul George, yeah. and that team was <laughs> supposed to suck. And he brought him to the fifth seed in actually a pretty close playoff race, uh, playoff series versus Houston. And it's like every single time, it's like the fucking Midas touch. And after a certain point, you got to accept the evidence that this dude is going to go down as one of the true, true greats. And very similar to what I said about Harden, I want him to get a ring somehow, some way, because it's such a dumb thing to hold against him. And I know it will be held against him. If you think about all time point guards, right? Like where does Chris Paul rank? You're going to put him behind magic. You're probably going to put him behind Steph. I think I'm okay with both of those. Then a question becomes of like, okay, Stockton Stockton. kid, um, you know, Nash, um, you know, whoever else, Isaiah Thomas, sorry. Isaiah Thomas might even be third. I think he's right in that mix. And I think just because he didn't have a title doesn't take away from this guy. I mean, it's exactly, if you put him on Sacramento right now, they make the playoffs. There's no doubt in my mind because he went to Oklahoma City who had SGA 
and it made it work. He could do the same with De'Aaron Fox. And I just know it would work. I just have that much confidence that he turns teams around. And he it's not like Phoenix had a dumpster fire point guard last year. They had Ricky Rubio, who's at least, you know, league average or right around there. And I don't know. I think we're starting to underappreciate his greatness because of some of those like pretty, you know, sort of spectacular playoff failures. I look at him like Tom Brady. Um, There's no way Tom Brady was ever winning MVP this season because he's not going to put up the kind of numbers Rodgers did or Mahomes did. But in terms of pure impact and what he did to the Bucs and what I think he could do with any franchise, that's Chris Paul to me. It's more than just the numbers. It's the the raising the floor of your teammates, getting them to buy into a certain style of basketball um, and making them competitive night in and night out. I just hope that Chris Paul, this Suns team can make a little bit of noise in the postseason. Because if you imagine if they flame out early, yeah, no one's going to put it on him. Cried wolf all over again. Yeah, no one's going to put it on him, but people are going to say, okay, well, you know, we talk about his impact, but at the same, at the end of the day, it's like he can only take you so far. Can and you that's imagine? Not his fault. I, I just. Chris Paul as the one seed, right? Versus, versus arch nemesis Steph Curry and the eight seed Warriors. That would be who, who gave them hell for so many years on so many different teams. And now he's technically the favorite, but you know he's the, you know, you know, Steph's like, I got this. Yeah. That would be no crazy. one wants to play them. All right. What's Even if they have to face Luca, which is also a which is also not first fun, round matchup. Yeah. But, but I think not Phoenix would easy. dismantle. The Mavericks. The Mavericks are just too inconsistent. Like I don't, yeah. I don't like what I've been seeing. I, I know they had like a really nice stretch there, but they're kind no, of they've been falling apart. Up. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. Last question. Let's zip through these because we still have. I want to. Is it my turn now? Yeah, it's your. Oh yeah. I want to talk. Right, my last uh, one. Jamar Chase versus Kyle. No, I don't really care about that. But all right, go ahead. Oh yeah. I, I'm gonna. Uh, this one is actually from. Shout out to Colin who actually submitted a question a couple weeks ago. Um, you look at the top of the East and the top of the West and it doesn't have to be the exact top three seeds. Just think, think about the top teams. Yeah. Would you say this year that East is actually better when just evaluating the contenders? So I was thinking about this, right? Because remember last week I was kind of questioning your lack of um, worry about both the Lakers and the Nets. And I was thinking one of the things that player movement and player empowerment and all this stuff has led to is basically everyone but the most recent champion is completely unproven. And you, you, you like, if you told me Brooklyn wasn't, like, if, if you were like, why would Brooklyn lose in the East? I'm like, well, the big bad wolves in Minnesota, sorry, Milwaukee or Philadelphia, well, the, those teams haven't done anything, right? And you go into the East, sorry, the West, it's like the Clippers haven't done anything. The Suns, Jazz, none of them. The Nuggets made a conference final and meekly lost in five. So it's such a hard question because it's kind of like there's a lot of greatness on both ends from a player standpoint, from what we see in the regular season. If you're going top three, I, I would go, it's pretty easy in the East. It's, you know, Nets, Sixers, Bucks. In the West, I would say it's Clippers, Lakers, Jazz maybe. Nuggets yeah, without Murray, you kind of have to take them out. Maybe Jazz. I, I'm going to go West just because they have the Lakers. and It's kind of like the only team I definitively say has proven anything when the, when the chips are on the table. Everyone else has faltered or has not done it yet or has not gone to that stage. So it's a weird situation to be, but that's the reality of, of team building in 2021. 
I would actually, if the Nuggets are not counted now because they've lost Jamal Murray, I think it has to go to the East. I, I think Brooklyn and LA to me is a wash. Brooklyn because of the talent, LA because of the they've gone in there. And I know you'll just you'll say, what has Brooklyn done? They still have to show that they can actually win. But I think talent-wise, you, you take those two out. And then you're talking about Milwaukee. And I think Milwaukee and the Clippers are very similar in terms of both have much higher expectations. MVP-type players fell short recent years. But you trust Giannis and or Kawhi more? I trust, trust Kawhi. The, yeah, of course. You're going to trust a two-time finals MVP. But, but those are a little bit similar to me. And then there's Philly and Utah. And I think I just like Philly better than Utah this season. Just, although Utah has been better team, better conference, I think Philly in a playoff series is going to be a very hard out. And I don't see, I don't have that same fear about Utah. So it, it's it's kind of a wash for me, but I actually like the East better this season without Denver. If Denver was healthy, I, I think it's the West for sure. Two things that are interesting about Philadelphia is we didn't get to see Ben Simmons last year in the playoffs, right? He was hurt in the bubble and then missed that series versus Boston. So it's been two years since we've seen him in this setting. And in that last setting, it was the Jimmy Butler show. So Ben Simmons was actually kind of like a secondary ball handler, not just a secondary piece. Like he was kind of off ball because Jimmy was running the show as he should. And as he showed in Miami, he can do. Um, I'm very, very interested to see both what he does on that stage again, as well as what Tobias Harris does, who's a different version of the player that he was last year, right? Like he's improved quite a bit, but again, what are you going to do in May, June, July? Because right now, it's all for show in a way uh, for a lot Absolutely. of these teams. Um, but all right. So that is actually, <laughs> man, for not knowing what each other are going to ask. We just, we're just synced. You know what I mean? <laughs> so being podcast host for, for two years does my, my question is how many teams would a- evaluate the season as an abject failure without a title? All right, off the top of my head, Clippers? Yes. You kind of have to because if it doesn't happen this year and other te- – yeah, so Clippers. Um, Bucks. Uh, yes, I, I would say. Actually, it has to be. They went all in. They have it, to show And it's up. less about – so to me, it's less about, oh, you know, Giannis has re-signed, so it's not a worry that he's going to leave. But this team is built to win the title. That is why they traded five picks for Drew, maxed him, Chris Middleton, and you know what I mean? Like, it's built for this. Yep. I think it's just those two. Really? You don't think Brooklyn? The Lakers? Look, because Brooklyn, they're going to say the same thing, just like what you said. Brooklyn is going to use the excuse of they they have been injured. They, I don't buy it. I think they should win if they're all three yeah, are playing, so. but but they have on paper they can say they barely played together. I know the Clippers said that last season, but the Clippers that's not even true. They had a lot of games in which that whole squad played together. They just collapsed. I think the Clippers. I are think just Brooklyn excuses. can lean on health. I, I think. Look, I think the Clippers viewed last year as a as a, a failure, and I think and that's why they, I think yeah. So they I, I no, but I, my point is I think if that happened to Brooklyn, whether it's round two or round three, yeah, you put Durant, Kyrie. And Harden on the same team? Like, what else is your expectation? But, but your question wasn't, do I think it'll no, be a No, I'm saying even those teams. Like, you don't trade eight 
four picks, four swaps, all this stuff for Harden, knowing you have a short shelf life because those guys are not, uh, you know, 28, 29. They're 32, 33. And then not expect to win every year that you have them. You know, Durant has a player okay. option next summer. Okay, then, yeah, I... I... I think Brooklyn would be there. I'm just saying that they've got a lot of built-in excuses that they'll be ready to roll out as an organization. And they'll, like, internally, I don't think they're going to panic. I think internally, they're going to say Durant wasn't completely healthy. Harden's been dealing with all these, you know, these nicks and knacks. uh, And we need another year. I'll go one step further. I think Philadelphia and the Lakers are also on that list. Philadelphia, because they may break up the Simmons and Bede pairing if it doesn't work which means that you're suddenly making a fundamental change to the direction of your organization. The Lakers is not because they think it's a failure of their plan, but it's a failure of the season. You have LeBron in year 18. He's still playing at MVP level. You don't know how many chances you have left. Of course it's a failure. Well, you have to define failure. If it's a team that is a favorite to win and they lose, it's a failure, then obviously. It's a team that's come into the season or come into the playoffs with the singular goal of winning the title. And if they don't do that, the season's a waste. Like, for example, Utah, who has not made it out of round two, if they made a deep run to the conference finals, to the finals, you're building something with Mitchell and and Gobert, you could talk yourself into that continued ascension. But some of those teams are already at the peak of whatever they're going to be. And I think all six of those teams, or how many ever we just mentioned, are there. Phoenix is another one that I don't think it's a failure if they if they don't win. Denver, I don't think it's a failure. Those are obvious. I, I agree with you that the Lakers have expectations to win a title. So anything short of that, you might think is a failure. The way I'm trying to think about failure, though, in this context of this question is if you have an excuse or you can explain away why they lost and that if things went differently, they would have won, I don't know if it's necessarily a failure. And I think the Lakers have that excuse of LeBron's health, uh, lingering issues with uh, Anthony Davis's health. They had the shortest offseason out of any team. They uh, It was just a very difficult season from start to finish. And no one's going to hold it against them. Like LeBron not winning a title, it sucks for him and his legacy, but it doesn't really change that much in the long run. Yeah, I guess it doesn't, but when you're still second all time, you know, it's always on your mind of like, how do I get to first? And that one more title kind of does it for him. So it does. It, yeah, that's, right. that's fair. Wrap the NBA talk, but bonus quick question I just thought of. No explanation. One answer only. If you could pick a dream first round scenario of what's realistically possible, what would you, what would you pick? Are you talking about matchups? Yeah. Like team A versus team B. Hornet Sixers. What? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I really want to see, you know, PJ Washington and Mike Scott and what they're able to do battling one another. Uh, for me, it would be uh, Clippers-Lakers first round. That's... Because... Big... But here, here's why we haven't seen it yet and it's not even the Clippers and Lakers they're typically teams that you hope you have one round like you finally get everyone healthy playing together you have the first round to kind of you know beat up on a team get things going and then get momentum going to the next round 
all of a sudden you're entering the playoffs, the Lakers have to be on their A game. The Clippers have to be on their A game right from day one. And so even if LeBron comes back with just a game left in the regular season, they're going into a dogfight right at the beginning. And and LeBron hasn't really dealt with that. He's always played pretty easy first-round matchups. So that would be mine. Yeah, I, w- I mean, it would be so funny, honestly, if they played each other in round one. Uh, mine would be, uh, mine is um, N- uh, Nets Heat 2-7. Oh. I mean, you just think about the Oh, damn, I didn't even realize, yeah. That's, star uh... power. And like the, the weird thing is the Heat, they have to win their first play-in game, right? So if they stumble against Charlotte, let's say, and then beat the eight seed or whatever, and they get in as the eight, then it's a little different because you just don't know how it's going to shape up. But, uh, but yeah, that would be, that would be pretty amazing. Um, I can't wait for the playing game. I, I know we've talked about it so much, but oh, just it's gonna be awesome. looking at these matchups, it's going to be, man. Cause Washington's going to make it now. So you're going to have Beal and Westbrook, <laughs> which is a lot of fun. <laughs> They're actually sole possession attempt. Washington's going to make it. So it's going to basically, as of now, it's going to be what Miami versus Charlotte, which LaMelo ball should be back. Gordon Hayward should yep. be back. So I'll be, it'll still be up. exciting. And then you're going to have Indiana, Washington, which is not as exciting, but you know, whatever. And then that'll the be West, the NBA TV game. Yeah. The West, it's going to be what warriors spurs. Uh, so you get a Steph game and then really what we want is for the, the Grizzlies to beat the Mavs in the seven, yeah. eight. So we can get Luca Steph. Yeah. The sad thing is the Pelicans have kind of fallen out of the, the race completely with this, especially yes. with this last losing streak. Yes. So it looks like San Antonio, cause San Antonio, no one wants San Antonio there. If no. you had new Orleans, they don't even want the themselves Warriors, there. Yeah, but if you had Steph for Zion in that first playing game, that would just shatter yeah. ratings. The flip side is uh, Dallas is only half game behind Portland, so it could very be easily be Portland. But either way, you'd get Dame versus Steph, and those guys do not like each other. I don't think. Yeah, Portland's been sliding. Um, yeah, they just lost again by one uh, to to Denver. So, all right. We've already over an hour, but I wanted to quickly touch on Super League and the NFL Draft. Which one do you want to start on? We'll do 10 minutes on each, 15 minutes on each max. Everyone gets a little longer episode. We all know that you love the, the <laughs> extended content here, but which one do you want to start with? Let's start with Super League. Okay. So for those who don't know, uh, the top 12 uh, clubs in Europe um, all basically – planned effectively like to withdraw from their individual league membership and start their own um their own league called the super league and the idea was basically like look we bring in all the money to the to to our respective leagues to uefa uh which is the overall european european union for for soccer and why should we constantly kind of have to be battling for champions league berths which is really where you get a big bonus and constantly battling for notoriety amongst uh, a given season when we're the ones that bring in all the money. So fuck it. Like I'm tired of like trying to like compete with crystal palace or West Brom or, you know, Burnley and all this stuff. Like I'm just going to start our own thing. It was probably the most uniting factor of any event that I can remember in recent history. Everyone hated it, right? Everyone was against it, both fans of those teams as well as fans of any other team because it ruined tradition. It sort of like took out competitive balance. It, it left those leagues for dead. And, and essentially in a matter of 72 hours, they basically were like, just kidding. We're going back uh, to our, to our respective homes. What would you, what did you take of this? Because 
you know, the first thing I would say is just like, this was a power play that was, it, it fell flat almost immediately. It's so funny to see this play out, but at the same time, I wonder if this leads to anything kind of similar down the line where, where the teams that have all the value try to take back some of the control. The, yeah, the, this is one of the most interesting phenomenons I've seen unfold uh, because of the speed it unfolded, the consequences it has on just a sport and seeing everyone rally against it was just unbelievable. I've never seen something with such unified kind of opinion uh, as as people against the Super League. That being said, I think they like I, I can't go into all the details. I'm not a big soccer guy. I, I support Arsenal, Arsenal fan. But last couple of years, I'm not going to lie, I've kind of fallen out of touch. At least you got the lingo couple right things saying I, you support Arsenal. That was good. I believe yeah. that's soccer terminology. <laughs> exactly. Um, the, the couple things that I found funny were, one, it doesn't seem like this was well thought out. No. This seems like... Totally agree. <laughs> and there are there are legs to something like this because money talks and this is a much more lucrative... If you just talk about pure money and not about reputation and fan sentiment and all of that, you can make an argument that this was the right decision for these clubs to go into this league where it was going to be much more financially beneficial. And then look, they're not playing for the fans of yesteryear. They're not... They don't care about the 34-year-olds. They're they're trying to create a super league that kids today are going to grow up watching these teams in that league and become fans. And I think over time, as you phase out the older fans, you get a new group of fans who are all used to watching these superstars in one league. I, I think they'd get over that. So, But the funny part is it was so poorly rolled out. Obviously, it was going to get this big pushback, and they had no answer to it. If they had a really coordinated strategy around let's get a couple of players, let's pay them to come out in support of it. Let's, you know, work with FIFA and let's work with um, the leagues to come up with some kind of compromise. So it's not straight, you're banned from international play or you're banned from all these things. They could have made this work. I really think it possibly, people would have still been pissed, but they could have made it work. But the fact that they just came out just guns blazing, like this is happening, all these teams are leaving, it backfired really quickly. It's like so, they got that, that stoned and we're like, you know what would be crazy if we just yeah. all started this league and then the next day they like filed the paperwork. Um, exactly. I actually, I actually thought this was very similar. A lot of people were comparing it to um, pro leagues in America and, and why as like American owners who would kind of ruin soccer. I actually thought it was more similar to NCAA and – NCAA being the FIFA parallel where they are like weirdly powerful. Nobody does exactly why they're so powerful, but they have all these restrictions. And it was kind of like, do you remember when the power five was considering kind of like just removing themselves from the NCAA and starting their own thing? And there's so much resistance. And even to a lesser degree when there was realignment, right? When they tried to like redo the conferences for money, right? Like what are the TV contracts going to be? So suddenly Maryland is in the big 10 and, and, and West Virginia is in the big 12 and there's no big East anymore. And like college sports and soccer and European soccer are similar in that they're both very steeped in tradition. Like you compare it to professional sports in America, like our rivalries, uh, you know, bears and Packers aside are not that long standing. Like the Ravens and Steelers, that just started in like 2002, you know? So these go back hundreds of years. And so you saw that play out where it's like 
no, even though we do have to compete with these like random clubs that some Newcastle and the rest of the like that sometimes upset us. And that's like, you know, sometimes we'll take a Champions League berth, whatever it might be, Leicester City. It's still worth it because this is what we've grown to love. And, and to your point, the yesteryear fans were the ones sort of kind of like fighting against this so much. And I think that's what's really interesting about the way this ended up playing out because this wasn't a situation where the, the fans of those teams were like, yeah, like get rid of like the, the scrum. Like I just want to play against yeah. the best. It was really much like both sides were like, no, nah, we're not in. And I thought it was very similar to how so many fans of those college programs really resisted college realignment because ultimately what do they care about the revenue? That doesn't help them. I mean, I guess it helps their teams buy players, but that already is what happens right now. So there is already no parity. It's already like the ultimate capitalistic sort of structure and the money grabs doesn't further the ability for Barcelona to go get every player that matters, right? They've kind of already do that or at least split them with these other teams that are in the Super League anyway. So I think that's what that's what ended up being really interesting. And, you know, one thing that you know, FIFA is a shitty organization, corrupt, everyone knows that, but they do have the carrot of World Cup play. Yep, and that's and, a big one. And, and in soccer, playing for your country is like the biggest honor. It's like the biggest goal. Like they... That's almost as, I mean, think about Lionel Messi, right? Who's maybe the greatest player ever, potentially. You know, one of the biggest issues with his resume is that he hasn't led Argentina to the World Cup. Imagine, like, had Michael Jordan never played for USA in the Olympics. Nobody would have cared. Um, You know, it's what he did in the NBA that mattered. And Lionel Messi has won everything there is to win in Europe. But because he hasn't done that with his country, there is uh, some criticism and that's that's what they were able to essentially turn into the the true leverage to to you know sort of push back the forces so to speak one narrative i didn't like though out of this whole thing was oh no we can't let it become what american sports has become and i don't think american sports it it's driven by money for sure and yes our leagues are structured differently they're structured in a way where there's no concept of relegation there's no real tradition behind our leagues and and even with, well, like you said, new, with college football. Right? They're fairly new, yeah. all things considered. They're fairly new. That all being said, I, I don't see – it's like if – take. I mean, what happened there would be like if the top 10 teams in the NBA or the top 10 teams in the NFL went and formed a Super League. Because um, you're, you're really, this new Super League was – it's going to be what, 12 teams? Yeah, 12 with so like the possibility that they could add more down the line, I guess. So it's already a smaller than a lot of these other leagues. And – the funny thing about the the Super League too is that, like, I'm an Arsenal fan. Fine, Arsenal sometimes you know they're they're up and down performances, but usually they're good for a finish in like the fourth to sixth range. They're still a prestigious club in the Premier League. How about these teams that now go into the Super League and then they become a doormat? Like all of a sudden you've, like, yeah, you're going to be making more money and maybe it's it's more prestigious to be in this league, but now you're you're like the second to last or last place team in this new Super League. Whereas you could have enjoyed a much nicer standing in um, the current league you're in. So I always thought that was kind of funny. But of course, money talks, right? These clubs don't care about that. They care about what's going to generate the most revenue. These, that's what these owners care about. Um, and, you know, the Glazers are one of these owners who they were they wanted Man U to be in the Super League. Yeah. Soccer fans already hate them because they're American owners. They also own the Bucks. And, yeah. um, and Stan Kroenke owns the... And Kroenke uh, too. And, and so that's where some of the narrative Arsenal. of... The Not Americans are so kind of cool. responsible for this. It's yeah. but you know, one thing though yeah. that I think 
kind of gets ignored in all this tradition and like jerking off about like you know, how things <laughs> always are. It's like these leagues are not very competitive. Um, no. EPL aside, and even that, there's probably yeah. EPL Division One, like the main division, has what twenty teams, right? Yeah. On any given season, how many have a realistic chance to win? Six. Six. And they're all effectively the same six teams, right? Yeah. Like it's the it, big it's six. It's like a combination maybe. of Man City, Chelsea, Man U. You know, one year maybe Tottenham will be in there. But yeah, right, Liverpool, Arsenal, Arsenal Liverpool. Tottenham, et cetera. And so it's like that in like, itself. Who are you playing with in FIFA? That's, exactly. You're not playing with Who's Sheffield. Who's the five-star like, that you rock? And that in itself is more competitive than most leagues, right? In La Liga, you're talking about Barcelona, Real Madrid, and sometimes Atletico. Atletico, and, yeah. In uh in La Liga, sorry, in uh, Serie A, you're talking about AC Milan, maybe now Juventus. Yeah, oh yeah, of course, Juventus, like AC Milan, Juventus. In in um Bundesliga, it's almost always Bayern. Bayern, yeah. You know, right? Maybe Dor- and Bayern wasn't in the Super League, but the point is still same with League One. With in France, it's like almost always PSG, and it's like they're all top heavy. Right, and it's like Champions League is the only time we get to see the best play the best, and it's like this weird out of league tournament which is awesome because it provides us that view but then it's like why don't we just always get these teams because they're so much more superior clearly because of the lack of salary cap and the way transfer rules are set up and all these things and it's like this isn't fair so why am i watching like some random like game in epl but then you can argue well those fans like that they like the chance to go into Wembley and tie, you know, is like an amazing feeling or to go into old Trafford and like potentially get a point. Like that's awesome. And that's kind of like their whole season is made. They don't have exact expectations. This is the Americanization. This is why people say actually it's the Americanization because we feel like every team needs to have a chance to win the title in a sport. And that's not the mentality there. It's It's a more regional, especially with the smaller clubs. It's just a more regional like lower shooting mindset. Like I'm over here throwing fits because the Wizards are going to make the play in tournament. Like, you know, <laughs> a Crystal Palace fan is like crying because their whole life is made by doing something equivalent like that, right? Making a Euro- Europa League or something. So that's the, that's where the people, I think that's where that narrative comes from. And I get it to some extent, but also I'm looking at it. I'm like, is it fun that one to three teams wins every year? Is that like a good thing? But, you know, people have different expectations for the sport. And I mean, there there might be some creative ways you can do this without alienating and just destroying the tradition of of, of soccer. Like, why don't you have? What if you formed a super league? You had twelve teams, and but what if they do? You know, like how in in college football you have these like series you play. Like one year it'll be like UCLA Michigan has a one and one. They'll do one year at yep. UCLA, one year at Michigan. Yep. What about these twelve teams? Each season they have like two or three games where they're playing out of conference, and it's not tied to Champions League. It's tied to just teams in the Super League, and it becomes somehow a, bi- a really big spectacle. You you know you can find a lot of it's ways to make like money the off FA it. FA Cup, but with the Super League teams. FA Cup, but but my point is, you have a defined list of of teams, and they're all the Super League teams. Like so, all the best teams across the the problem the is that's league. Champions League. No, but that Champions is- League is based on how you finish, right? It, Champions League is still based on who are the top teams within each conference. This at least allows these these clubs with the with the prestigious who feel like they're driving a lot of the revenue, even in a down year. Yeah, you're part of that. That's it. There's no risk. It reminds me of when we were talking about the NBA adding the midseason tournament, and part of the problem being that nobody cared, and how you need to build up 
years. And actually, I think we brought up Champions League as, as an example of something yeah. that was like this in in theory, but people just cared a lot more because it's been going on for a lot longer. And maybe that's what it is. Let's just start something new. It won't matter today, but it'll matter in 10 years. Right? Like the idea has legs. There's money behind this idea of forming the Super League, but don't make it an exclusive, like so exclusive that, you know, you're not playing in all these other um, leagues. So, yep. All right. Well, last thing to cover. Uh, we'll see what happens, I guess, because I think they're crawling back. But, you know, there are some potential penalties or, you know, there should be at least if they want to dissuade this type of action in the future. So, all right. Last thing to cover NFL draft. It's next Thursday through Sunday. I think the thing that I'm I guess the reason why I'm so excited for this is because, you know, we all know quarterbacks drive interest in the league. And I don't know that we've seen a draft like this in recent or long-term memory where you could potentially have five quarterbacks off the board uh, before we get to pick 15. Um, the, the one that this, in most recent memory, that this kind of like mirrors is 2018, um, where there was five quarterbacks drafted. But the fifth one, which was you know future MVP Lamar Jackson, he went 32nd. Um, so the first four went in the top, I think 12 picks, Josh Rosen went 10 or 12, something like that. And Lamar went all the way, uh, at the end of the round one this year, we're going to have Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, and Mac Jones go in the top half. So first question I'd ask you is how would you rank those guys? Um, based on whatever it is that, you know, I've just read a bunch of mock drafts. I haven't watched any of these guys play, but you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm Simmons not, I'm talks no about it without watching. I'm no expert either. I, I go Trevor Lawrence, number one, and Zach Wilson. I think they've kind of established themselves as one, two. Mm-hmm. At three, I think I go Fields. I think a lot of these teams are overthinking it. And this happens every year with the draft. And you try to find reasons why that third guy is is not as good. And and the argument for Mac Jones, I, I you know, well, all this, this smoke around the Niners taking Mac Jones and um, I don't, I don't, I think he's, he's got a lower ceiling. I think you need a guy fields has a higher ceiling. Um, he's obviously got the pedigree. And then after fields, I'd put Trey Lance and simply because when you're taking the fourth quarterback, I think swing for the fences and Trey Lance is the one guy who a lot of people said has the closest comps to Mahomes. Now that doesn't mean it's going to be Mahomes, Not exactly. but in terms of, no, I've heard, I've heard a lot of, about Trey Lance being more like a Mahomes comp. Um, so in the, for me, I'd actually take Lance over Mac Jones, and I'd put Mac Jones last. But Mac Jones, I think, is a safer pick. But when you're picking the fourth quarterback in this draft, I wouldn't go for safe. I'd swing for the fences at that point and try to get a generational guy. One thing I think is kind of funny is that one of the knocks on Justin Fields is sort of out of his hands and that Ohio State system produces these, like, high producing quarterbacks that ended up sucking in the NFL. Yeah. And totally it's not busted. really his yeah. fault that Dwayne Haskins is a different guy than him or Cardell Jones or, you know, JT Barrett mm-hmm. or whoever. But at the same time, like Alabama doesn't have any good quarterbacks in the NFL. Like Tua, uh, Tua was like the first guy that was supposed to be like a can't miss prospect and maybe he'll be good, but nothing we saw last year would indicate that that's a slam dunk yet. That hasn't hurt Mac Jones's um, draft stock, right? It's actually, Somehow he's his improved his draft, draft stock since the season ended. I'm gonna go co- controversial here. I have Wilson one and Lawrence two. Wow, 
I, I, so my brother went to Clemson, right? So I have to hear about Clemson a lot. I, I, and <laughs> they actually used to not be that good. And Virginia Tech used to beat up on them. But then the tide turned about maybe eight years ago, seven, eight years ago, um, when D- Dabo took over. And I had to hear all about Deshaun Watson. And then I had to hear all about Trevor Lawrence, starting from when they were like sophomores in high school, like at cafeteria, like eating school lunch. I had to hear <laughs> about how these guys were going to be the next, the, like the next coming. And I've watched a lot of Lawrence. And I think he won that title his freshman year. And I think that was his best season. To me, he didn't look as impressive in years two or three as he did in year one. And he was basically the number one pick whenever he was eligible right after that first season. And with Wilson, I mean, I just think that draft, that pro day throw is the only throw I've ever seen him have. And so I was like, that was enough for me. No, I, I mean, whatever. <laughs> I've seen like a little bit. I just think he, he, he could be a better um, thrower of the ball. And I think actually the NFL is trending towards a little bit like Lawrence is really athletic, but he's also six, six. And that gives me a little bit of pause. Uh, maybe he turns into Justin Herbert. It's fine. But I kind of think it's trending towards some shiftier, little bit shorter guys. And, and Wilson has good size, but I think he, he's got a better arm. And with the Jets, I'm really interested to see how that plays out because they haven't had a good quarterback since you know probably Joe Namath. Then third, I have Trey Lance. I kind of agree with you. Swing for the fences. And, and Lance is interesting because he played against no one, but his stats were like amazing. And I yep. think that's a good sign, right? It's not like he struggled against no one where it would give you a little bit more pause. Um, and, you know, Carson Wentz went to North Dakota State, right? And he was fine. Um, he almost won an MVP and he won a Super Bowl. So yep. at the end of the day, I, I, I worry less about the competition. I mean, look at Josh Allen. He went to Wyoming and he's now you know one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So if you can throw, you can throw. I got Lance fourth. Sorry, I Fields fourth and I got Jones fifth along with you. The the Wilson the the issue I have with Wilson going number one is I, I think we do this every year, and this is, we see this in the NBA with Luca like Luca's number one guy number one guy, but there you know you come up with concerns you come up with reasons it's not going to work although everyone realizes this is the best prospect and then so a team takes Aiden who's your Wilson who's a safe pick maybe and you know could be better. And then there's a team that takes Bagley. It's it's like, you know, taking maybe Trey Lance over Trevor Lawrence because you think you're you're outsmarting yourself. The, Trevor Lawrence has been the guy for so long. There's no reason not to take him number one. So I, I get your argument for Wilson. I, I get the prototypical size, all that, and the concerns with maybe Trevor Lawrence. But, I mean, come on, dude. This is the Luka all over again. Yeah, I just want to be a little different. <laughs> and everybody is saying Lawrence is like the best thing since like Peyton Manning or, or Andrew Luck and John Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck and John Elway are always like the flagship. Like these are the yeah. top rated quarterbacks coming into the draft that we've ever had. And he seems to fit into that group. I watched a lot of, I obviously did not watch Peyton Manning or John Elway in college, but I watched a lot of luck and I don't oh, I necessarily know. Yeah, I don't necessarily know that I see Andrew Luck in in Lawrence. Maybe I'm wrong because he he can make all the throws, but I think he's a little inconsistent. But at this point, seems to be like above any type of criticism. Like I never hear anybody calling him out about anything, and that gives me a little pause. I, I agree with you on that. Luck was like a transcendent prospect, and but even I heard more 
things knocking against luck. And then Lawrence, it just kind of feels like no one really evaluates him thoroughly. Everyone just kind of says he's number one. But look, I, I'm not a, I haven't done my research either. I can't give you explicit reasons why I think Wilson's going to be better. Um, yeah, you we said you think he could be a thrower be of the ball, which I don't even know what that means. But um, like he physically will complete passes downfield, I think is all that meant. I, but I think we both agree Matt Jones is at the bottom, right? And so I think the reason I'm so excited for this draft, and I'm excited even though the Bucks for once are not in like the top 10 or in a pole position to get a good guy, we're at the very end, is you know some team is going to pick a quarterback and it's going to completely backfire. And I, it'd be interesting if it's the Niners yeah. because the Niners obviously are going to go after QB. They've got Jimmy G, but yeah. if you get a guy like Mac Jones and Jimmy G doesn't start that well, you all of a sudden have this really good team, talented team that you're entrusting to a rookie QB. And this is Kyle Shanahan's job is on the line. The Niners windows on the line and it could totally backfire or it, it could work out really well. And now you've got a cheap rookie contract at QB. So I think for them, you have the Falcons too. some of these QB needy teams who uh, their futures could look a lot different depending on how it goes. Yeah, I mean, all the data would suggest that about half these guys, half the quarterbacks drafted in the first round are busts. So two or three of these dudes are going to suck. And it's just a matter of trying to like, it's almost like Russian roulette trying to figure out who, which one it's going to be. Um, but let me ask you this last question here. Who's your favorite uh, non-quarterback in this draft and where would you like to see them go? Uh, I don't know. Pitts. I, I kind of want to go with Pitts um, just from a pure talent perspective. Here's why I'm not as high on Pitts. And everyone says, look, Pitts is a uh, don't treat him as a tight end. Evaluate him as just a receiving receiver. If Pitts was a receiver, he'd be slotted even higher. Pitts also at the same time, OJ Howard was that dominant tight end prospect. He crushed it uh, in college at Alabama. And he kind of underwhelmed in the pros. And so I, even though everyone says you can't go wrong with Pitts, I kind of – I'm still a little hesitant. I like Devontae Smith uh, a lot. Um, I like the tackle, Seawall. I, I don't think you can go wrong with the tackle, and I think he gets lost among all these other offensive names. But I don't really have a favorite. How about you? I think mine is Jamar Chase. Like he sat out last year, but you remember him with that Joe Burrow, like crazy, crazy uh, LSU offense. The one, the title yep. was basically like potentially the best team of all time, you know, by some calculations. I just think that like, you know, him Sewell and Caleb Farley actually from Virginia tech are probably three of the top prospects that all sat out this year. And so it's easy to kind of put them out of sight, out of mind, especially like a Devonta Smith who won the Heisman, or like you said, Kyle Pitts, who seems like, you know, the next great tight end in the league. I think Chase is going to be an awesome addition on the outside. I, I, I To me, I, I get why the Bengals are really struggling between whether they should take him or take a tackle because Joe Burrow got just manhandled last year. And I, I think if you could find tackle depth later in the draft, like you draft that stud wide receiver who reality has a lot of familiarity with. That, but, yeah, that's a good anyway, one too. Anyway, we totally could chat about more him. about the draft. Yeah, I think he's going to be really good. But we can chat more about the draft if we record next Wednesday. If we record next Thursday, I'll break down the latest Washington pick as the next uh, all-pro for our team. Um, 
But that is a wrap for us this week. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin on all major podcast platforms. Please email us at thickandthinhoops at gmail.com, and we will talk to you next week.